0: In the- Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Welcome to our campuses joining in as well as those at home group studies and people all over the world literally who watch these, which amazes me. Let's all stand together and let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that uh, gives us insight and instruction and has great power. Help us, Lord, to understand as we delve into your word so that we can really know what the hope of our calling is in Christ, and who we are in Christ. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn around and shake some people's hands around here at our Green Bay campus. And you may be seated. And at this campus, the, uh, the ushers uh, hand out uh, the uh, offering baskets for people who uh, aren't able to make it on Sundays, and they give their offerings on Wednesday nights, anyway. Okay, so now we are going through the New Testament. Uh, We've skipped over the Gospels, but just starting with, uh, because we just recently went all the way through the Gospel of Matthew. But as you can see, the New Testament, compared to the Old Testament, is relatively small. (laughs) Okay, this is over a thousand. Thousands of years. A lot of history and stuff in here and stuff that uh, it's hard to even grasp what they're talking about. It's easy to get lost. The New Testament, written in a period of about 70 years, much more concentrated and really to the point, just all around the teachings of Jesus uh, and, and the apostles who you know, built on the teachings of Jesus. Um, we were. Uh, We're in the book of Acts, and we're looking at the spread of Christianity. I've been moaning, my maps finally came in. (laughs) I wanted to kind of give you a a little visual of of where we've been and what we've been talking about. This is Jerusalem here, okay? This is Judea. Up here is Galilee, where Jesus came from, you know, was in Galilee and Nazareth and all these places up here. And in between is Samaria. And as I explained to you, the Jews here didn't like these Jews there. They were considered half-breed Jews. They uh, had intermarried with women from other cultures and stuff, and they were really hardcore about that. Didn't like them. Uh, But as the gospel started uh, spreading out, actually Jesus started ministering to some Samaritans. Uh, The woman at the well was from Samaria and stuff like that. Well, after... uh, The gospel started getting spread after Jesus' resurrection. Believers in uh, Samaria, people started believing in Samaria, so they went up there and ministered to them, and we read about those miracles and stuff, and they went all over the place uh, ministering uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, We read about Paul, I'm sorry, Peter, who, uh, you know, this is Lydda where he raised that lady from the dead, hung out in Joppa where he had that vision. About, don't call anything unclean that I call clean. And these guys from Caesarea called for him. He comes up there. That's when these Gentiles all started believing in Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, all this stuff. And this was like a, a radical a shocker for them. Of course, then we have Saul, who's going through and he's just chasing after Christians everywhere, uh, you know, with this very strong hatred of Christianity. Uh, and then he's going all the way up to Damascus. This is a long way away. This is up in Syri- uh, Samaria, uh, in Syria. And these guys, you know, man, it wasn't like they hopped in cars, you know, horses or, or walking. A lot of it just takes him a long time. So he's going up to Damascus because now Christianity spread up here. And when they heard that there was Christians up here, they thought this thing's getting out of control. So... Saul gets the authority to go up to to Damascus, find these Christians, and bring them back to prison. Uh, Of course, then outside of Damascus, that's when he's knocked to the ground, um, and uh, he's blinded, and he hears Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. So this totally changes his life. He gets saved. It takes a matter of days before he immediately starts preaching with great power and authority Uh, of the gospel. And you think, how could anybody just in a matter of days become that proficient? Because he was extremely religious. He knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand. And all of a sudden, after he becomes a believer, all of it starts making sense and he starts taking these scriptures and he's preaching everywhere and just people are freaking out. So they try to kill him. So he escapes and they come all the way down back to Jerusalem where everybody was afraid of him because nobody believed that he was a believer. Uh, Finally, they started taking him in and then Barnabas, nice warm and fuzzy Barnabas that we read about, uh, brother of encouragement, uh, took him to Tarsus, okay? And then we left off where Barnabas hears about uh, up here at Antioch, which is off the map now, <laughs> it's up here, believers, so he goes all the way up there, and he's having such a great time, he goes all the way back to get Saul, and then they both stay way up here in Antioch. So they're hanging up there. Uh, the book of Acts says they've been up there, they're they up there for a year, hanging out and stuff. So all this is spreading out. This is what we're looking at. And then we go back, meanwhile, back to Jerusalem. That's where we pick it up in chapter 12 of the book of Acts. Am I unusually dark in the screen there? Or is it just me? No. It's a little dark. Are you guys engineering back there? What do I know? I just work here. All right, so... Peter is, uh, we come back to Peter in chapter 12, verse, verse 1, uh, and guys, it might just be my eyes here, so don't get all freaked out, just do it the right way, I'll keep quiet. So, uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now, so it was about this time, and this is after it talks about, you know, the gospel going everywhere, and, and Barnabas and Saul are up here, and all this stuff's happening, about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. We don't know why he arrested them, but he did. Uh, Herod is really a strange creature. And uh, uh, he's actually of Jewish descent, uh, but it was a real sellout. uh, And his father's before him, and you know, I mean, it's just a mess. All these guys were just really nuts. Uh, So anyway, here he gets prodded probably to arrest some Christians and uh, he has James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So boom, James, we've been reading about James and John, James and John, these guys throughout the Gospels, we don't get very far and no more James, okay? So he's out of it now. He is in heaven, he's gone, and he's the first uh, apostle who is martyred. Now when uh, Herod saw that this met with the approval of the Jews, and they're all happy because they're getting sick of these Christians, uh, which uh, they said, the first time the word Christians was used up in Antioch. Okay, so this word's being used now. And uh, so he says, this is great, everybody's happy, I gotta get some more. So he proceeds to seize Peter also. Now this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. So after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, all right? There's a lot of guys watching one guy, and he's just surrounded by all these guys, all right? Uh, Four squads, four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, which, after what he did to James, just means he intends to kill him. Okay, so he's going to off Peter, and he says, this is great, people like it when I kill these people? (laughs) Let's kill some more. So Peter gets arrested, he's stuck in jail. So Peter was kept in prison, verse 5. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And at this point, you know, you're a little concerned, you know? I mean, these guys were suffering already from the persecution that Saul had been involved in. And then he becomes a Christian, so things calm down a bit. Now persecution is popping up again. And, you know, James, one of these major players, apostle, he's dead. Uh, And that's a shocker, right? Because I'm sure they all prayed for James, And what did they pray for James? They prayed that God would deliver him and set him free from Herod and that he'd be able to go out and preach the gospel some more and da-da-da-da. And what happens? James dies. Moral of the story, people die. All right? And I'm pointing this out not to discourage anybody, but the reality is not every single prayer is always answered the way we think it's going to be answered. There's no way. They're probably really in a state of shock that James was killed. Not one of the apostles, doesn't see me. So they're getting a little bit of a reality check. Sometimes God shows up in incredible, miraculous ways, and other times, for whatever reason, he stays quiet, you know? Look, the reality is either way, live or die, we win, all right? We're born again, we have the power of Christ in us, we got all the blessings on this earth, and all of this pales in comparison to heaven. So worst case scenario, you die, you go to heaven, that's a pretty good promotion right there. So, you know, we don't always need to get stressed out. Sometimes people, I, and I say this because, you know, so many people listen to us, you know, at all different campuses and all over the world, literally, and I am always running into people who are just devastated that something they prayed for did not happen, or specifically someone who was sick or whatever, and they, they died, and they're, they're just, you know, devastated beyond and they get mad. Some people get mad at God, which I, I always think is really odd. <laughs> Getting mad at God. I can get mad at your circumstances. Why are you mad at God? But anyway, some people, they just, for whatever reasons, get all the fit. And, and just to calm them down. And, and they think, you know, man, if we just were more Bible-believing, oh, we wouldn't have these problems. Really? These guys were pretty Bible-believing. They're writing the Bible. All right? And it still happened to them. So don't freak out when sometimes things don't go the way that you think. I promise you, for James in particular, this was a good win, a big win. Why did God withhold his hand in delivering James? I don't know. And nobody knows. I mean, and as I said on Sunday, everybody dies. we all, you know, so stand in faith, trust God for miracles, and don't freak out if everything doesn't go exactly the way that you'd hoped. That's just the reality of it. So anyway, now Peter's in prison. Now they're all praying. Now, at this point, their faith is probably a little shaken, wouldn't you think? You know, the last guy I prayed for got killed. <laughs> I remember a preacher once. Uh, I think it was a Lutheran guy. He'd gotten filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. All this, you know, spirit-filled stuff was new to him and, and, and encouraging the people to pray for the sick. And, uh, and he says, my first call for prayer sickness is someone called to pray for their dog because their dog was sick. He said, I went and prayed for the dog and... Almost immediately, the dog dies. He says, I was scared to death to pray for anybody. After that, if I pray the dog dies, I'm going to kill somebody else. I mean, it's, it's amazing some of these impacts that, that happens on us. So anyway, so the church is probably a little shaken at this point. Despite their prayers, James gets killed. So Peter's in prison. The church is not praying for him. Now, the night before Harry was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood at guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared in a, and a light shone in the cell. And he strikes Peter on the side. Yo, dude, wake up. Get up. And instantly, the chains fall, fell off of Peter's wrists. Well, that's cool. Now, it begs the question, what happened to James? Why didn't James get his miracle? I don't know. But now Peter is getting this. So this, all this happens, this light's glowing. Now, you've got to remember, this is 2,000 years ago. It's not like they had general electric bulbs around the place. I mean, for light to come out of nowhere, it had to be a little stunning. Peter, which we're going to read in a minute, thinks he's dreaming all this because it's just bizarre. You know, this light shining, all of a sudden, things fall off his hands. And the angel says to him, put on your clothes and sandals. <laughs> Are they chaining him? In the, he's in the raw? What is this? this is, it's bad enough to be chained. Chained neck, it's got to really hurt. Anyway, and Peter did so. So he said, wrap your cloak around you. Dude, cover up is what he's saying. And follow me. And the angel uh, told him to do this. So Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Because it's surreal, all right? They passed the first and second guards. These guys are standing at attention. No way do these people fall asleep. When they're working, especially for Herod. Now what happened to the... uh, Uh, Temple guards, when the apostles got loose, it doesn't say anything necessarily bad happened to them, but there's different levels of police force, if you will. When you're working for Herod, the king, and a guard gets out of your control, they will kill you. And uh, uh, actually, all these guys wind up getting executed. You feel bad for them, but they're just doing their jobs, right? But so they're standing, they are not sleeping, they're not napping, they're not dozing, they're staying awake because the penalty is death. Death penalty tends to be a pretty strong motivator to keep people awake, I would think. So, they're standing, and he's walking right by them. And they don't see him. And they walk by some more. (laughs) So he thinks he's having this vision. It's surreal. He got this angel, lights glowing, walking by these guys, they don't see Jack. And they're just walking out. So they pass the first and second guards. uh, And then they came to the iron gate leading to the city. And it opened for them by itself. Not a big deal. Today, our doors open for us by themselves all the time. 2,000 years ago, holy cow, (laughs) how did this happen? And the gate just And uh, so he went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, I presume the door closed by this time, uh, so he's still walking with this angel, suddenly the angel just leaves him, he disappeared. Well then Peter came to himself and realized, this just actually happened. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So when when this had dawned on him, and what a rush that had to be, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Who are they praying for? Peter. All right? So Peter knocks on the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she freaks out, woo, and she runs back without opening the door. Well, Peter's still stuck outside, and she's yelling, Peter's at the door, Peter's at the door, and what? They said, they told her, you're, you're out of your mind, and when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, oh, it must be his angel, must be his spirit, he must have died, you know. Now, these people are trusting God for a miracle. They're praying for a miracle. The miracle comes, they don't believe the miracle. Now, why would this happen? Well, because their faith has been a little shaken. You know, it's easy for us to talk about this at the time. This is like big stuff. So when he said, I'm telling you, Peter said, Oh, it's got to be his spirit, an angel. You know, he's dead. He's got to be dead. You know, <laughs> not exactly great faith. <laughs> so Peter keeps knocking. And when they finally, here they go and they open the door and they saw him, they're freaking out. Holy cow, here he is. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He tells them what we just read. And then he says this, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. And then he left for another place. Now, James who? Well, it's not James the apostle because James the apostle is dead. He's just got killed. Who is this now? As I mentioned last week, it's kind of stunning to watch what happens in the New Testament. You would think, after reading the Gospels, that the people who are going to dominate the teachings of Christianity are going to be those 12 apostles. But as it turns out, they don't. And I don't know why. Now, we know there's going to be a special place in heaven for them. Jesus promised them all that stuff. But... It's not long, all of a sudden these guys start diminishing and others are rising up. So James, who's not one of the apostles, is now one of the major players in the church. Eventually, of course we know the bulk of the New Testament teaching is written by Saul, who becomes Paul, Paul the apostle, uh, and some of these other guys that weren't there at all. I mean, it's really quite stunning. We do know that they were Greatly instrumental in the spreading of Christianity, the apostles. These are guys who were extremely comfortable with miracles. You talk about having faith. These guys had been with Jesus and saw miracles like crazy. And then remember, Jesus gave them the power to go do the same miracles. So they wanted. So they're used to doing this. They're doing. And then Jesus goes, the Holy Spirit comes, and now they're doing bigger miracles than they were doing. I mean, so these guys when they went preaching the gospel. That had to be impressive <laughs> when these guys show up and praying for people and stuff. I mean, that's why Christianity is spreading like crazy. I think that's really where they spent the bulk of their time is in this, the proliferation, uh, proliferation of the faith of Christianity. Uh, but in terms of being major players in uh, you know, controlling and running the church and all this kind of stuff, uh, and even being major players in the New Testament writings, they are not. And it's really kind of interesting to watch. Now, who is this James guy? Now, virtually every Bible scholar agrees wholeheartedly that this is the half-brother of Jesus. Now, uh, you guys back at the computer there, go to uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. And I'll give you a real quick breakdown here. Now, I know a lot of you, you know, our church is probably made up of 80% of people who used to be Catholic or some other major thing and Catholicism always teaches to this day that Mary not only was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus, but she remained a virgin all her life. Uh, now they know of the multiple times in the New Test in the Gospels that it talks about Mary and Jesus, brothers and sisters. The way they explain it, and they usually don't have to explain it because nobody ever asks any questions. <laughs> <laughs> or very few, is <laughs> the way they explain it when you push it, because they've got to see this, is their theory is, is that Joseph was probably a widower, and that when he married Mary, he had a family and brought it. Well, that's not beyond the realm of I don't think that's what happened, but that, that's plausible, okay? so But even they will admit he had these brothers and sisters. They just don't think Mary did it. We evangelicals think it was Mary. The Bible says that she was not to be with Joseph until after Jesus was born. I presume that meant fair game after that, you know. And we don't view sex as something filthy and horrible that would pollute her, you know, which is, it all comes from, again, some of the real strict uh, traditional Catholic uh, Catholic teaching and stuff like that. But we read here in uh, Matthew, the 13th chapter, verse 55. These are... uh, Jesus is doing miracles in his hometown and these guys get, wait a minute, isn't this the carpenter's son? We know this guy. Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So we know that this is probably uh, the oldest of uh, second uh, to Jesus who are his stepbrothers. Either way, they're his stepbrothers because Jesus' birth was divine, all right? So James now becomes a major player. He wasn't really all that involved in Jesus' ministry at the time. In fact, oftentimes, in the gospels, talks about James and Mary, and the boys and girls would come and try to see Jesus, and you know, so they kind of chase him around a bit. Uh, how much of an impact we don't know. Uh, clearly, he's a believer, uh, certainly by this point, and he becomes a major player in the church. In fact. As we're going to read in a few chapters, when it came for like major decisions, they came and pled their case in front of James and the other brothers. So James becomes like, you know, he's like the head guy administratively speaking uh, in Jerusalem. Which again, we still have Peter and all the apostles. I think they just gave themselves to the preaching and teaching of the word and just went everywhere and just rocked everybody's world like. Peter going around, doing, raising people from the dead, doing all these incredible things. I just think that's what they stayed focused on in terms of running things and writing and instructing a lot of Christianity. Uh, they didn't do a lot of it. James, interestingly enough, does write an epistle that is found in the New Testament. We're gonna be getting there in just a little bit. Uh, in fact, his is the first epistle in the uh, New Testament. I don't know who made up the decision of what order the books of the Bible are in but they surely make it really confusing. Because <laughs> if you start, especially in the Old Testament, you just start and you start reading it, it is so out of order, it'll make your head spin. You don't know what the heck they're talking about. You put it in order, it starts to make sense. Even with the uh, uh, New Testament here, James, you'll find at the back almost, just a little bit before Revelation, is actually the first epistle that is written, and uh, we'll probably get to it, uh, I don't know, maybe even yet tonight. So. Uh, so that's who James is. So Peter says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, and they left for another place. In verse 18, in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers. to what had become of Peter. I'll bet there's no small commotion. They're freaking out, and you feel very badly about these guys. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they... Be executed. So they all bite it, and it's very sad. Well, then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea, all right, and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now they joined together and sought an audience with him. So they're having this big fight, and here comes the king, and after securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. This is the voice of a god. All they're doing is kissing his behind big time. All right? They've got this thing, and they're having some problems, and they need him on his side, and they're freaking out, and they finally get, you know, they're trying to calm everything down, and, you know, Herod comes out, and he's blathering, and, you know, Stupid political talks. (laughs) And this guy's talking, and they're all just shouting, oh, it's the voice of a God, all right? Well, the Bible says immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, instead of taking all this praise on himself, thinking, oh, maybe maybe I am a God. I am good-looking after all. So because of this, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, I've heard of dying and being eaten by worms. <laughs> that's really the preferred way <laughs> of getting worms involved in your life. <laughs> when you get worms first and they eat you and you die, that's a bad way to go. So Herod has just this nasty, nasty thing that happens to him. And then in chapter 20, uh, verse 24, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And now actually, as we're going to take a jump over to James, it's probably about this time, uh, and, or not too far from it, that James actually writes his first, this, this epistle that we find. So we're switching channels now. We're leaving the book of Acts, and we're going to go through this letter of James. All right, y'all with me? Here we go. So we're leaving that there. We're going to come back as soon as we're done reading this epistle. It was circulated about this time. We'll come back and we'll continue the story when we get to the next letter, which will be Galatians, Paul's first letter. And this is a hilarious letter. Wait till you get this one. He was so mad. I loved it. All right, so we read this letter that James, this guy who now has this big part, he starts out, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Who is he talking to? Jewish Christians. The 12 tribes scattered, he's literally talking to Jewish Christians. You have to remember, up until this point, it was they would hear about Gentiles becoming Christians. They hadn't processed this yet. It's still gonna really hit the fan for them. They're gonna have this big argument about what to do with these people. Uh, and, and what rules they have to follow and what they don't have to follow. But at this point, it's kind of like this aberration. Remember, Peter went up you know, to uh, Caesarea and entered this Gentile's house, and they all got saved and stuff. And as soon as he gets back to Jerusalem, they all pull him on the carpet. What are you doing? You went into a guy's house and he's not Jewish. And ooh, they got heebie these people. And Peter starts to explain to them that, you know, God shows up. And if a man of God's accepting these people, we got to accept them. They went, oh, okay, I guess, you know. But they hadn't really processed it yet. By, at this point, still overwhelmingly, Christianity is a Jewish thing. I mean, they looked at Christianity as a Jewish sect. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, whatever little groups they'd have from time to time, uh, and Christianity is this new Jewish sect that pops up, uh, you know, talking about Jesus as the Messiah and stuff like that. And their experience at this point, experientially, is the book of Christians everywhere were Jews. Uh, even when Paul starts to go around and, and spread and preach the gospel, he would always go to the synagogue first, and he would start there, and then he'd go to the other places and... We'll read about all the fights over that whole thing. That just becomes a disaster. But uh, so anyway, so he's writing to all these Christians. I'm a servant of Jesus. He's actually half-brother of Jesus. He, does, he doesn't play that card, but everybody knows who he is. <laughs> you know, ooh, let's listen to James. And he grew up with Jesus, was all part of this. And, uh, so he writes to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. He's not talking to Jews in general, but to Christian Jews, which at that time were virtually all the Christians. He starts out and says, greetings. Now, in his letter he's going to try and help address some of the problems that they're having. They're, some of them are going through some really hard times. Okay, they've been going through some persecution, kind of led up for a while, and now it's coming back. Herod's persecuting them. Uh, and so he gives some basic, he's giving encouragement about how to handle tough things in life. Uh, gives basic advice for Christianity. He's building on you know, this faith, this is all new. Jesus said, I'll build my church. They're in the middle of all this building. I mean, and they're just being led of the Holy Spirit and he's encouraging them how to approach their faith and, and he gets on them for some things that they're not doing very well. And uh, so that's, that's this, little, this little letter. So he starts right out, greeting. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And they indeed faced trials of many kinds. You know, some of us, we get upset because... You know fries are cold. what? Fries are cold. Our fries are cold. You know, or somebody doesn't want to talk to us anymore. And, you know, and I'm having this problem. My boss is a jerk, and uh, I don't see how I can serve Jesus because you know my hair's starting to fall out. I don't want people's problem. To us, it's this major deal. When these guys talk about trials and tribulation, they're talking some serious stuff. All right, but whether your trial and tribulation is small or big, it will mess with you. He says the way to approach this and consider it is to consider it pure joy when stuff is going wrong. Pure joy. In fact, there's a celebratory uh, implication in the original Greek to this. It's like having a party, inviting all your friends over. Hey, my life sucks, this is great. You know, we're gonna praise God no matter what, and that's the way they live life. They were not obsessed with having to have everything just perfectly, or I can't serve Jesus, I can't go to church because I've had a bad week. Really." This is the kind of world that we live in today, but not these guys. And he's encouraged them. Listen, when things go bad, don't freak out. Don't get mad. You know what? He, don't get mad. Get glad. TV commercial. So uh, that's that's what they did. They just they wouldn't embrace their troubles and celebrate. When you run into trouble, is an opportunity for God to show up in your life. It is. Everybody wants a miracle, right? Who wants? Everybody wants miracles. But then we get mad when we need a miracle. It's not fair. Hey, you want a miracle? You got to, you know, everybody loves the story of Daniel thrown in the lions then. woo Bad news is you got thrown in the lions then. See, a lot of us, we get thrown in the lions then. We're crying and moaning and belly aching. Oh, I'm so terrible because I'm in this stinky den with these smelly lions and they're scaring me. You know, but this is how miracles happen. In fact, virtually every miracle in the Bible happens because of something bad that somebody's encountering. The dead raised to life. Bad news, you got to be dead first, all right? People who are suffering, people who did this, who were under persecution, all this stuff, and God shows up and does all these incredible things. Uh, so count it pure joy whenever you fall tri- uh, face trials of, of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And he says, let perseverance finish its work. I love that. You gotta let this happen. Most of us fight it. I don't want perseverance. I want it to stop. It's just chill out. Let this happen. Perseverance, this patience in you, uh, do what it needs to do. Let it finish its works in you, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So that's his first encouragement. Just when hard times come, first thing he talks about, because people were having trials and tribulations, and you know James died. How come James died, but Peter didn't? You know, and then they're getting kind of messed with in their heads, and just said, listen, just embrace all this stuff. We're just passing through. We don't belong here, okay? Don't put all your hope and trust in this world and then get mad when something goes wrong. All right, so let faith. You got to let it do its work. A lot of us don't let it. We keep getting in the way because we don't want to go through anything challenging or difficult. Then he changes the subject. He says, listen, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Again, the, the, uh, the whole book of James, is, he just jumps into his little nuggets of wisdom. Boom, 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 boom. You know, obviously, you know, he'd read, it's, it's kind of like the, the Christian version of uh, Proverbs, really. Proverbs is little bits and pieces of thing, and he'd read that, and so the way he's approaching it, writing to these Christians, encouraging them. He's the first one to write to all of them. So he's giving them little bits of information. He says, you know, if, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Do y'all know what wisdom is? Do you remember Solomon? God comes to Solomon and says, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. Now, most people would have asked for money. Or in that day, either money or the death of all their enemies. (laughs) You know you got issues (laughs) when you rather a bunch of guys you don't like die rather than taking the cash. And what Solomon does is he says, God, give me wisdom so I can know the right thing to do. You're putting me in charge of all these people. I don't know what to do. Give me wisdom. God says, because you did not ask for money, I'm gonna give you more money than you can handle. He was paid annually in tons of gold. Uh, This is known as Israel's golden age. They had prosperity. You talk about a run on the stock market. I mean, everybody was making out like a bandit during Solomon's time because God blessed him because of the purity of his heart at the time. I say at the time because he kind of messes up later. Uh, And he says, because you didn't ask for, you know, crush all your enemies, I'm going to give you peace. As far as we know, we're not aware of any war that was even fought during his entire lifetime, which is stunning. These people are always going to war. Uh, but God gave him wisdom to know what to do. And we read the story about you know the two women fighting over the baby, and he says, "We'll cut it in half." And the real mom says, "No, no, no!" I mean, this is the wisdom of Solomon. These, these are these incredible stories. He was brilliant beyond measure, and this is why the country did so amazingly well. Can you imagine having political leaders who always knew the perfect thing to do? <laughs> neither neither can I, because huh? we got a bunch of weirdos. But uh, uh, that's what he was wisdom is knowing what to do, practical down-to-earth wisdom. The reason I'm stretching on this a bit is because we have a problem in Christianity today, and I mean it's all over Christianity today, and that is this. People don't want wisdom. They want God to tell them what to do. And this is encouraged by Christian leaders everywhere. You come to someone asking for advice, they'll say, well, just pray and ask God to tell you what to do. Just pray and ask God to tell you what to do. If you go to anybody, and you try and share your heart, and you're looking for wisdom. And their answer is, "Well, just go pray and do what God tells you to do." Well, a Moron could have figured that out. Okay, get away from such people. I'm sure they're sweet people, but these are people who either lack wisdom or they're so full of fear they might say something wrong. They are not being helpful. You go to anybody, and their answer is, "Pray about it." They're not helpful. Are you listening to me? You should, and don't you be doing that to people. Someone comes to you, and I don't want to, Well, just pray about it. You chicken. Say something. What would you do? What's your experience? What kind of wisdom has God given you? Or just say, "You know, I don't know, Jack. Go ask the next guy because I just, you know, we don't do this spiritual, I just pray about. It. Yeah, we figured we prayed about stuff before we came to talk to you. All right? Practical wisdom. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors there is safety. You should be able to go to people in the church and ask for wisdom and advice and insight. That not mean you've got to do everything everybody says, but practical advice, stuff that you've gotten in your life from your spiritual experience, from your walk with Christ, you should be able to give practical information. Listen, I don't know everything about your life, but this is how I would approach that. And give them some advice. This cop-out in Christianity today is like a plague where no matter who goes to anybody, all they say will just pray about it. So nobody's given anybody wisdom and, and anybody is afraid to make decisions in the first place. They don't want wisdom. See, most people run from the idea of wisdom. They want God to tell them what to do. And this is in every area. You know, oh, what, what church are you gonna do? I'm just waiting for God to tell me what church to join. I'm waiting for God to tell me what job to work on. I'm waiting for God to tell me you know, what, who to marry. I'm just waiting for God to tell me who to What are you, Moses? You know, these people are so spiritual. But yet their life's always a mess, and they can't make decisions. Everything is not up to God. And I promise you, when God wants you to do something, he'll show up and he'll tell you. All right? You don't have to be running around. This insanity of begging God's will before you do anything is not biblical. It's Old Testament models, but not in the New Testament. For heaven's sakes, these guys, when we guys were going to read the book of Acts, they just went. And then the Holy Spirit would show up and say, don't do that or do that. Well, fine. God's a big boy. I use the analogy. How many of you have children? Do you tell your children what you want them to do or do you wait for them to seek your face? Well, it's absurd. Of course you tell them. You got employees? Do you tell them what to do? You hope they come and just sit at your feet for a while. Get your... Of course, if we being evil know how to give instruction to people, how much do you think God is? God's will is God's will. Most of God's will is right here in the Bible. And you can see God's more concerned about how you are than exactly every little thing that you do. Well, so I got to make decisions. Yes. Yes. Don't be afraid to make decisions. Make them. Don't be a chicken. Well, I don't know what to do. Ask for wisdom. God will give you wisdom. Well, I don't make a mistake. You'll have more wisdom next time. <laughs> don't be afraid. I, I'm just stunned how many people in America, the Christian people, are so afraid. They can't make a decision about much of anything. This does not bring glory to God. Make a decision. God will protect you from killing yourself. All right, and certainly you should go ask other people their opinion. What do you think? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, <laughs> pouring gasoline on myself and lighting fire. What, what do you think I should do? Well, bro, I'm to afraid about that. Really? Don't pour gasoline on yourself, you idiot! You're gonna die. That's an extreme, but there's a lot of stuff like that. It's just, just, <sighs> you, you know, a lot of people. I said this last week or on Sunday morning. I think sometimes we're too quick to pray for people. You know, now when you come for prayer, I get that. But a lot of times when people come to pray, if any of you ever come to me for prayer, the first thing you get from me is a bunch of questions. So what I do to you. Well, I, I just gotta pray. My, you know, this horrible things happen. Well, why is that happening? And they stare at me like I dropped in from Mars, you know? It's like the lady said, "Ah, you need need to pray for my husband because he won't let me read the Bible to him. Most people just start praying right away. Oh, Lord, we pray for this man. You open his wicked, evil heart. I said, oh, wait a minute. What do you mean God won't let you read? the, The guy won't let you read the Bible to him. He won't let me read the Bible to him. I try. I said, well, are you reading how much God loves him and cares about him? Or you can to rhyme reminding him how he fails and doesn't stand up and do the right thing? She goes, well, the latter. <laughs> <laughs> well, stop it. Man, I wouldn't let you read the Bible to me either. If every time you read the Bible, you're showing me what a jerk I am or how I'm such a failure and stuff like that. I never did pray for a husband. <laughs> <laughs> Need to pray for her. Ask questions. Find out stuff. What, what is your problem? Why is it? And you guys got to come, come give us some information. Sometimes it can be handled by simple advice and wisdom. You know, pray for me, my arm hurts every time I hit it against the wall. Yeah, why what, what, what don't you stop hitting your, really? You know, I mean, I know it sounds very simplistic, but some people's problems that are overwhelming sometimes are incredibly simplistic. Ask questions. Check it out. Let's look for wisdom. Let's be people of wisdom. God gives us wisdom. We should be able to impart wisdom. We should be walking in the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is uh, gifts of the Spirit is wisdom. And let God use you to speak into people's lives. Now, if you ask and such and such, and then okay, well, great. Then you think, yeah, it sounds like a spiritual problem. Let's pray. You know? I mean, someone comes up to me and says, Yeah, I don't don't have any money. I pray to have any money. I need some money. Pray for me why don't you have any money? Well, I'll keep spending all of it. (laughs) Well, how about we work on that? (laughs) You don't need more money. You'll just spend more money. Or I don't have any money because I don't have a job. Are you looking for a job? No. I'm serious. I have conversations with people like this. No. Well, why not? Well, I'm just waiting for the Lord to bring me a job. Go out there and just get a job. First job you can find, do it. And ask God to give you a favor so you can buy a better job and a next better job. I'm not going to pray for you to get some money when you're too lazy to go get a job. Somebody say amen. amen. It's called wisdom. I know it sounds so spiritual just to pray about everything. I'm telling you, that kind of response is not, it's pseudo-spirituality. It's people who don't want to take time to find out about other people's problems or are afraid to tell them anything. Don't be afraid. Ask wisdom. Speak into their lives. And then pray for them. Okay, sometimes you find out something's really, you know. My girlfriend doesn't want to go out with me anymore. Okay. <laughs> you know you got really bad breath, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean some advice. Just don't beat No, I think I'll beat that to death. Anyway, move on. <laughs> Ask for wisdom. Everything doesn't have to be God telling you stuff. Use your brain. Ask for wisdom. You want to know what to do? Ask for wisdom, it says. And when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed about by the wind. So you've got to have some faith. So I'm going to pray, but I don't know if God will give me the wisdom. I'm not sure. I don't know what to do. Really? This isn't exactly the right kind of prayer for wisdom. Pray, trust God. At some point, what it is, I just know people are afraid. They are afraid. The majority of people in the world never accomplish anything just because they're afraid. They will spend their entire lives in the gray of safety and never risk anything. I never accomplish anything because they're afraid of failing. Don't be afraid of failing. Some of the greatest people in the world failed multiple times. I, I could write a book. <laughs> I think I may write a book someday <laughs> of all the really stupid things not to do by Mark Unger, from personal experience. It gives you wisdom. Don't be afraid. So what? You make a mistake. I know people are just scared to death. That I'm just lose that stuff, man. It'll be fine. That person, who's afraid, can't decide about anything, should not expect he's going to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. All right, next chunk of wisdom. Believers in humble circumstances. He's talking about people who don't have much money. Ought to take pride in their high position, the position that we have in Christ. You don't have much of anything? You think you're a nobody? As far as God's concerned, you're a somebody. Somebody. You really need to think in this thing. You are in a high place because of what Christ has done in you and he values you greatly. Just because the world doesn't value it doesn't mean God doesn't value you. So uh, he says, the people in humble circumstances, no money should take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower for the sun rises with scorching heat and it withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they are about to go, uh, even while they go about their business. So not very encouraging to people with money. <laughs> he's kind of, kind of mean to these guys. But, and there were believers who were very wealthy. They were, you know. All he's trying to let people know is, you got a lot of money, think humbly. What you got could disappear tomorrow. Don't put your trust, the Bible always warns us, don't put your trust in uncertain riches. If there's one thing that's almost certain about money, it's really hard to hang on to it. Just when you think you've got it made, and if you're not walking in God's blessing, man, that stuff can happen just like that. You know, people have all this money in their 401Ks and the stock markets crashes and they got jack. You know, and they're devastated and they can't function, you know. Just you know, put your hope and trust in that. Put your hope and trust in God. I like this next one. He says, blessed, are the one, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Uh, uh, Other translations use the trial talk about temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Because after he's tried he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Don't get discouraged when you're going through temptation or struggles and all these things are squeezing on you. Because it's those who go through that that are greatly blessed by God. When tempted, he says no one should say God is tempting me. God, I'm being tempted, I just know God is tempting me. No. God does not tempt people. He cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Well, then how do you explain these temptations? Where do these temptations come from? Maybe I'm possessed of the demons. No, it says each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Temptation comes out of here. It just is, which is disturbing considering some of your own personal temptations. (laughs) Mine included in that list. Really? That comes out of here? That comes out of this head? Yes. That's, it's not God putting that in me, and it's not the devil forcing me into it. Now the devil, no doubt, shows up and, and eggs it on. Don't misunderstand me. But these temptations have come out of your sinful flesh. That's why at some point we get rid of this joyfully. It's called death. We get out of this thing because it's always messing with you. It'll always try to make you angry, and it'll always try to make you bitter, and it'll always try to make you unforgiving, and it'll always try to make you want something you're not supposed to have or take from somebody else or lust or all these different things. That's what this does. We as Christians can walk victoriously over this, but it's always there. Again, the good news is we get set free from that in death, and now we don't have that anymore. So he says, be careful about the temptation. Each one's tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire and enticed then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death oftentimes when people sin and they do something bad they get really angry and they yell and scream or curse or they you know find themselves getting into an affair with somebody else's wife or whatever this varies wildly oftentimes these people are stunned and shocked that this happened i don't know how this happened i never wanted this to happen I'm, I'm sure you didn't, but it, it doesn't just happen, is what James says. These things happen on purpose. It starts with a seed, and you mold that around in your head over and over and over again. And then it says, then, then lust uh, is, is conceived, and when it conceives, just because a woman conceives, you don't know that right away. It takes a little time. It takes nine months before you get to the end of that deal. You know, any woman who all of a sudden has a baby, I'm shocked, what is that? It's a little strange, okay? Uh, these things happen on purpose. You gotta be careful with the little things. Don't just entertain, oh, if I ever get a chance, I'm gonna punch that guy in the face, so people never talk to me that way, and I, all my life I put over this, I'm not gonna. You're rolling around this nasty in your head, that is conceiving some nasty stuff that's gonna be coming out later. And then when the right buttons are pushed, you're gonna lose it, and you're gonna be shocked. And what he's trying to say to you is, no, these things don't happen. They're not shocks, okay? These are intentional things, thoughts, attitudes, behaviors that you play, the old saying, you play with fire, you're going to get burned, and that's exactly what he's warning here. Watch what you're thinking. Watch what you allow into your head and what you meditate on. So, It's just a thought. It's no big deal. No, 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 no. Little tiny seeds. This is how life is started. Little tiny seeds all of a sudden coming to life. Just because it doesn't happen right away, don't think that uh, there's not a definite start. It's not when it happens later, all right? Then he says this, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. So He's talking about the born again experience that we're supposed to have, and how God wants to bless everybody. You know, there's no chain of thought here. He's just jumping from one thing to another. Uh, here's a great one. Some of us, by the name of Mark Gunger, need to really write this one down. But uh, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Here's the funny thing. I am the kind of person. I do have to work on this. I would much rather talk than listen to anybody. (laughs) But that gets us in trouble. You got to learn. The old saying, God gave you two ears and one mouth. That means you should listen twice as much as you talk. Okay, And you shouldn't just always be blathering your opinions constantly on people. You need to listen. Take input. Some people never like to listen to anybody. And then they get mad. And when we get mad, we all feel perfectly justified. And this is good. And God understands. I'm doing God's will by yelling and screaming because I'm right. And what he's saying is, look, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. God doesn't use your anger and you losing it going psycho and crazy to advance. Really, I'm just trying to help my husband by screaming at him. Yeah, why don't we take that off the table, okay? That's not exactly a helpful thing. Anger, human anger, does not advance what God is wanting to do. I get it, everybody gets mad and stuff like that. Just keep it in context, okay? So he says, therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I've preached this many times to you. The word of God is a reflection of who you are. You look in the mirror, you see something, and you correct, okay? Before I came here tonight, I had a couple of minor corrections. <laughs> some of you the same way. You look in the mirror. The first thing you do in the morning is everybody's got to do some minor corrections. Whoa, some major corrections. You know. I don't know what happens in the night. We all fall apart. But uh, that's helpful. The same thing in the scriptures. You look and you experience it, and then you have to act on it. What a lot of people do, they come and they listen to the word, they get blessed, but they never act on it. It never changes them. They never do anything. Oh, that's a great sermon. Oh, that's the best sermon I ever heard today. Really, what are you talk about? I can't remember, but man, it was great. <laughs> really? What do you mean you can't remember? Pay attention. You should be acting on these things. Let them change you. Don't be like a person who looks in the mirror and just walks away. It feels good because he looked in the mirror, but can't remember what he saw. He says he forgets. It, and I love... Uh, what it says there in, in verse twenty-four: after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's not that they don't. There's a fly. <laughs> he's upside down. There he goes. Very confused fly. <gasps> I have the attention span of a fly. <laughs> he's on his back. His wings going. Maybe like a fly massage. I don't know what he's doing. Anyway. But whoever looks intensely into the perfect law gives himself, gives, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting. See, he's talking about the forgetting. It's the forgetting. We think, oh, yeah, it was a great message. It was awesome. What was it? I don't really remember, but I know I felt really good from it. That's a bad sign for you. You need to pay attention. You should be able to walk out of here with something that this is what was said. I need to remember what was said so I can put it into action. It's the forgetting part of it. If you hear and you're taught and you're encouraged and you sing and do all these things and you walk out and you don't really remember anything, you're not latching, you don't have to remember everything, but just something, something that impacts you. You go, wow, that was cool. I need, I need to put that. And, then, and, and you should be thinking about it. I mean, that's why one of the things that we do after messages on Sundays, we send out these notes. What helps you to go back over what we talked about. So you get a chance to think about it, reflect on it. Get that rolling around in your head instead of your anger and your lust and everything else that's going to conceive bad. Get some good conceiving in your head by spending time. What you think is a big deal uh, in your Christian experience. I have no idea. Five minutes. Okay, I'm good. Okay. Um, But whoever looks into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues. Now, he's using the analogy of law, the perfect law. He's talking about the law of grace. Okay, he's talking to Jewish Christians who were used to doing the law. In fact, they still did the law. These Jewish Christians were still obeying the law of Moses. But then he talks about the perfect law of liberty. the freedom is talking about the freedom in Christ, but he's using that analogy because they're very into the law. All right, it gives freedom if you continue it, not forgetting what you've heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. Uh, and we'll get to this, and I guess end. With this, let's see. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues <laughs> deceive themselves. And the religion is worthless. Oh, man. Amazing. Actually, he gets into it more in a little bit. We're gonna, we're gonna, when we get to chapter three, he goes into a whole litany of problems with the tongue. The tongue gets us in trouble all the time. He says, anybody who doesn't mess up with this is a perfect person, all right? Which means everybody messes up with this, okay? Because nobody's perfect, but it gets us in all kinds of trouble. But even though we still make mistakes with this and we speak out of turn or say something you shouldn't say, you know, we still should be practicing some discipline. You need to control yourself. If you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue and you think you're a devout, Faith person, you're deceiving yourselves. Because a devout faith person, if there's one thing the Holy Spirit will teach you, if you're listening and paying attention, is zip it. You are not obligated to say everything that comes into your head. Husbands, wives, people who feel, I just got to tell you what I'm thinking about it. Well, if it's mean, how about you not say it? Okay? Or find a nice way to say it. Uh, with your friends. A lot of people tell me, oh, I don't have any friends. Either by their choice or because just nobody likes you. <laughs> Why don't I have any friends? You got to show yourself friendly. You need to interact with people. and uh, anyway, you got to keep a, t- a, a tight control on your tongue or your religion is going to be worthless. And then he uh, ends this, this part of the chapter, which wasn't written as a chapter, but we'll end here. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You want to prove out your Christianity, you want to prove out your faith, you help people. You help people and you control yourself and keep yourself from getting all messed up. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And that's always a challenge for every Christian. I promise you, when you leave these doors, that world is going to want to pollute you. Uh, They're going to want to get you so into the way they do things that you come out smelling like the sewer, all right? Our challenge is we got to live in the sewer, but not smell like the sewer. If anything, we should be walking around like air fresheners Tss, and affecting the world around us. But you got to do that intentionally, okay? And one of the, so you got to keep yourself from letting all that crazy affect you, which means pay attention. You know, we're not legalistic about you know, watch shows to watch on TV or watch books to read. But there's some stuff, it's just obvious. And there's some stuff, guys, you know, it's just nasty. Some of y'all like some really nasty shows. And, and I get it, but you got to be careful. That stuff, it will splash on you and it will affect you. Kind of watch what you watch and pay attention. like that little song, you know, little eyes, be careful what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Great for children, but that song should really be sung to adults. <laughs> watch what you watch. Pay attention to this kind of music you listen to and stuff. Uh, and again, you don't have to be obsessed and have to come to me to find out what's approved or not. Just use wisdom. There's some stuff that I just, I don't partake in because it's just so nasty and so negative and because at some point this stuff splashes on us, you know, if you. Wrestle with pigs, you're going to get dirty. So, you want a real religion, he boils it down real simply, helping people. In this case, he specifically points out, you know, uh, kids that don't have fathers. You know, helping widows that, that don't have husbands. And, these, and the analogy here is we're talking about people who, in that time and day, they, there wasn't social security and stuff like that. You're in a situation where you had no uh, husband, and you didn't have a son that could make a living. Man, you are the poorest of the poor, it wasn 't like it is today, so it's not necessary that we don't have quite as much of this today as they did back then, but there's still people around you that need stuff and they're hurting and stuff. and uh, if you're going to really express your faith, you do it by taking your Christianity and putting it into giving it shoe leather, all right, going out blessing people, encouraging people, trying not to get dirty in the crazy world that we live, and so on. so um, as you can see, I mean, these are just basic chunks of advice that he's given to these early Christians. That's chapter one. Next Wednesday, we'll pick it up again. It won't take long. It's, it's a pretty short. I mean, it's a, you know, three or four pages. It's pretty short. Uh, and then after we're done with this, so we'll go back and pick up an ax and see what happens with the story, and, and we'll keep jumping back and forth. But James is a really interesting book. Uh, I, I Actually, this is years ago. I couldn't, I, don't, I couldn't do it now, but I actually memorized this whole thing. I could quote it verbatim in the King James language. That's uh, why well, just reading this in NIV confuses me because <laughs> I want to quote the old language. But it's just practical wisdom stuff that you get in you, and it really helps you. Just real simple. It's, it's this, none of this that we'll read in James is complicated theology. Now, there's parts of Paul that we will get into and I'm already dreading it because it's like really in the weeds. And I'll, but I'll admit, if I don't know what he's talking about, I'll tell you, man, I'm not sure what, he, is what I think he's talking about. But I mean, it's really, Have you get into Hebrews, it's like, holy cow. You know, but this, this is, this is the easy stuff. Don't be a jerk. Don't be mean to people. Be kind. Watch what you think. Don't be freaking out about what to do. Ask God for wisdom. These are all basic stuff. Watch what you say. Don't go around blathering around uh, and and causing uh, problems in your life. Uh, All very practical things that he's given to the Christian faith. And then we'll pick it up from here. Next Wednesday, all right? God bless y'all. See you next week.